Yeah. It's a good time. Thanks for supper. Thanks for coming out. It's been a good time so far. I think a lot of stuff's happened over the last few nights. Hopefully something happens tonight. I'll tell you a story because uh, Rodney said there's guys here from The Rock. Raise your hands where you at. Yeah. And there's guys here from The Fort. Is that right, too? Was The Fort somebody said? Somebody said, uh, I'll tell you a little story because something maybe he prayed when he prayed it. Is that <clears throat> to do that, so you, uh, you uh, Auburn Heights guys, when they do something, you need to go over there. And what that does, it breaks down that whole uh, spirit of competition that exists just about everywhere. Let me tell you a quick little story. So uh, <clears throat> I'm from the Texas Panhandle. That's why I talk so funny. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but I live across the te- uh, Oklahoma line now and been living there since uh, 1990. I considered a mission trip into a pagan nation. <laughs> uh, so, I've got rid of most of my Texas pride by now. But anyway, uh, so... Uh, we started my last year on the ranch there, <clears throat> 30 miles from Canadian, actually. Um, I'd drive up. I took care of 2,500 head of cattle for a guy, and uh, I'd drive all the way from my place up, up north of Canadian. And there's one pasture that I was in, and I'd stand up in the back of my – God started dealing with me about praying over Canadian. You probably don't know anything about Canadian Texas, but <clears throat> um, it's like one of the worst towns I ever knew of – where people were messing around with other people's wives and stuff. It was just terrible. I mean, it's re- it, it was really bad. It's, it's, uh, so anyway, uh, I'd stand up in the back of my pickup, and uh, this was before I was even pastoring a church or thought I ever would do anything like that. It wasn't long after my real turn in 1984. It's probably around 1987 uh, or 88. <clears throat> and uh, I'd get up in the back of my pickup. <clears throat> I'd stretch my hands out over Canadian Texas and pray, and I did that that whole summer of... Uh, 1988, uh, 87 or 88, and then uh, one thing led to another. The ranch we were on, that we're going to be there forever. They decided they're going to sell that ranch. We didn't own it; we leased it, and uh, so we ended up moving. And uh, in the meantime, I felt called to the ministry. Um, along the way, somewhere we felt like the Lord told us to plant a church in Canadian Texas. So we did what uh, we felt like the Lord told us to do. We went to Canadian, uh, about four or five of us. And four of these guys came along, and uh, we met with the, we went to the Ministerial Alliance meeting, and we told them of our intentions. We'd heard the Lord, and uh, <clears throat> we'd already started looking for property there. And uh, in that meeting, there was about eight different guys from eight different churches. Now, I was born in that town and lived there 25, 27 years. Um, the, you know, the guy that's one of my close friends, one of my old beer drinking buddies, Donald Hill, has the past, been the pastor of that church now since the, uh, pretty much the start. And he was born there and lived there his whole life. And in, in that group of uh, seven or eight other pastors, um, the longest any of those guys have been there about three or four years. And so, but anyway, so uh, we told them of our intentions. And uh, it was the rudest reception that I've ever uh, experienced in my life. They treated us terrible. One guy said, uh, uh, he said, uh, what makes you think, uh, what, 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 why would you want to plant a church in Canadian Texas? We got enough churches here. And I said, well, we just feel like we've heard the Lord on it. And uh, he said, well, that doesn't impress me at all. He said, you know, you see on TV the kids that said, said the Lord told him to go kill his parents. And I said, well, that's a perfect analogy for what we're doing here. But anyway... <laughs> So I'm, I'm saying all this to say this whole thing about competition amongst churches. And so 
Anyway, one of the pastors there from the Assembly of God Church was real quiet. He didn't say anything. He wasn't rude. He was just kind of benign in the whole situation. And Anyway, so uh, he called the Assembly of God pastor in our town. And uh, I, knew, uh, I knew him uh, kind of. Uh, we hadn't spent a lot of time together, but I knew him from the start. When we started with six or eight people in 1989 in Sayre, we started praying for the other churches. And <clears throat> we were nobody. I mean... They didn't even take us serious for a long time, and uh, we're the only non-denominational church in town. And I, I tell everybody, kind of as a joke, but it wasn't funny if you were us and then. But I said, we had to go through the whole snake handler syndrome. They don't know what you're doing, but because you're not like them, you're, it must be wrong, you know. And so, anyway, the Assembly of God pastor there, called the Assembly of God pastor and Sayer, and uh, I tear up, choke up every time I tell this story. And uh, he said, what about these guys coming into our town? saying they're going to plant a church here. He said, uh, what do we need to do about that? And uh, the pastor in our town, who I knew fairly well, but not, not, not real well, he said, you need, to, you need to welcome them in your town. And he said, what do you mean, welcome them into our town? He said, because if you welcome them into, our, into your town, every other church in town will be better because they're there. That's the kind of, that's the kind of reputation that you want. And when you, when you guys are praying... You guys from the Rock, you guys from the Fort, you guys from Auburn Heights. I know you do. I know you guys do. Pray for these other churches because the enemy comes at us unified, and we're down here arguing over who's got more people in church than the other guys, you know? So it destroys that, it destroys that whole mindset. And uh, anyway, I just said that, say it's good to have, uh, it's good to have guys from, from other places. Um, <clears throat> there's never been a better time. Uh, it's always important. But there's never been a better time, a more critical time, or a more strategic time to, to hear God. And uh, especially for men, and there's a whole movement, if, if uh, you, you've probably noticed it, to take away the masculinity of men. Have you been noticing that? I mean, men have become the problem. And, uh, and uh, they're trying to take away because they know that the, the mantle of authority in the household is supposed to be on the, on, on the man. God's chain of authority, uh, we didn't make this up. It's not male chauvinism, it's God, Christ, man, woman, children. That's God's chain of authority. So well, first off, I want to just encourage you as men to stand up. Uh, I think you are. Look around this room, with the, the, the men I know in this house are doing that. And uh, it's kind of challenging sometimes. I see it sometimes. Uh, I don't see it so much in our house anymore because we have a, we have a, we've been talking about this thing for a long time, 30 some years now. And so we have a, 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 the, the men have stepped up and, but if it hadn't been for the women in the last generation, it wouldn't be much church left. You know, it, it's kind of been the women in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties that kind of carried the load. But when you have a strong, uh, you have a woman who has a strong relationship with the Lord, a lot of times the guys will kind of step back. And so I don't know if you're in a situation like that or not, but I encourage you to step up because, again, God's mantle of authority is on you. And uh, you don't, we don't rule with a rod of iron, right? Tell me how you get along doing that. But uh, we, we have to, we're, we're servant leaders in the home to start with. But the household's not going to be in order if men don't step up. The church is not going to be in order if men don't step up. So first off, I encourage you to step up. And uh, <clears throat> the other thing is, uh, I've made it a priority for all these years. Uh, I'm not sure uh, who I caught it from, probably Jack, others down through the years. Hopefully we're imparting that now, the, 
the dire necessity, especially now, to hear what it is God's saying. And uh, I don't know how many of you have been here the last few days. I know a lot of you have. Some of the faces I see might be new. But um, for so some of you are going to hear this like for the fourth time now, but, uh, but I'll be brief in saying it. But for 34 years, I've been believing that the church is going to be more than what I've seen in my 34 years. I've seen a lot of stuff happen. I've seen God move miraculously. I could take several services and just tell you uh, the miraculous stuff that I've seen God do. But, uh, but, but not to the degree that I thought. In fact, the, the Lord give, has given me some visions back, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years ago of, uh, of, of uh, traffic backed up on both sides of the interstate. We're between two exits. We're, if you were to look uh, on the map where, we, where we're located, we're on Interstate 40, halfway, almost exactly halfway between Amarillo, Texas, and Oklahoma City. We're just 26 miles from the Texas line, two hours from Amarillo, two hours from Oklahoma City. And uh, the Lord gave me a vision years ago of cars backed up uh, on both ways on the interstate to get there, to get what he's doing. It doesn't have anything to do with us except, you know, he could have picked a lot of other people to do it, my opinion, even better than, than we could. But since God picked me, us to do it, we're going to swing for the fence with that. Amen? And so he also gave me visions of uh, years ago of uh, uh, ambulances pulling up to our church services and people being wheeled in in wheelchairs and walk out. And so I know some of those things are coming. I said this last night, as kingdom people, especially as kingdom men, somewhere along the way, I hope it's happening for you. It is happening for me. Somewhere along the way, we start to believe the unseen. What we can't see becomes more real to us than what we, what we do see. Amen? And so this awakening that I've been talking about, believing for for 34 years, uh, talking intensely about for going on four years now, and... Uh, talking about hardly anything but for the last nine or ten months. Now it's being talked about a lot because we've seen the thing that's happened in Asbury. It's happened in other colleges. Um, Oklahoma University, 86,000-seat uh, stadium, is having a thing in, uh, in April. And uh, I, just, I just found out this last week that they had that planned even before the Asbury thing happened. So God's doing something right there. He's really up to something. And um, I taught for... Uh, uh, the whole year of 2020, you know, we had the whole COVID thing and uh, probably had y'all, y'all had probably had to do the same thing we did. We just did the virtual thing for two months, eight weeks. We just uh, did the online thing. And uh, during that time, I said, you know, the Bible says that there's coming a time uh, where, where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I said then, it's a, I'm repeating, some of you heard this for the second or third time now, but I'll say it again, is that I said then, uh, I don't know if this is that, but it's darn good practice for it if it's not. And since then, I believe that it is because even though the a lot of the characteristics of that COVID thing, the masks, the you know the shutting down everything, a lot of that's kind of slacked off a little bit. But the but the shaking has not let up. Would you agree? And the shaking is you know the financial system, the education system, everything is is continued to uh, to escalate. And so uh, this whole Thing. It's, a, it's, it's really important now for you guys as men to, to take up that mantle of leadership and start to lead. I just kind of wrestled a little bit with what I wanted to do tonight. A couple of things I want to do is one is I want to talk about just hearing God and make it as practical as I can make it because, uh, again, I said uh, 
quite a bit. I think every service so far, God, I found to be recently in a really, really talkative mood. Has anybody noticed that besides me? He's in a real talkative mood. And well, you've got to kind of get in a listening mood too. And uh, he can be talking all day long, but if you don't have your antennas up and you don't know how to listen, how to hear God, first off, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I bet you, I'll just to put the test to it. Is there anybody in this room that feels like you've heard the audible voice of God? Put your hand up if you have. See? Every, every group that I speak to, there's always been someone who believes they've heard the audible voice of God, and I believe that with them. Do you? Yeah, I mean, God can do anything he wants to do. But the other thing is, let's don't hang around and not do anything and be waiting on the audible voice of God, because God speaks all kinds of ways, and if you can't hear him any other way, you can, you can hear him through that, amen? The Spirit lives in you to tell you, help you uh, with what that means, and uh, he speaks to us all in different ways. He speaks to you in, in ways that uh, you understand and with language that you understand. He's not limited in the ways that he speaks. And uh, so let's just let's take it from uh, ground zero. I want to just read this verse to you. Uh, John 10, 27, you don't have to turn there, <clears throat> but it says something like this. My sheep hear my voice. That's pretty simple, right? My sheep uh, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So if you're going to really be a follower, you need to be able to, you need to make it a priority to hear God's voice. The people who hear God the best are the people who make it a priority to hear him. It's just pretty simple. And uh, because, uh, you know, uh, I tell people too, in fact, I think I'll just read that. It's a blog I wrote several years ago, and here's the title of it. This will help us get on, get uh, moving in that direction. We're on a need-to-know basis with the Lord. That's, a good, that's good news, right? Well, what that means is that everything you need to know, everything you need to know, and you say, about what? About everything. About you, about your wife, about your family, about your job, about what God is doing. Everything you need to know, God will tell you, and this is even the icing on the cake, and he'll tell you in precise timing. So that's why we should put a real priority on hearing God. Here we go. There's the title. We, we're on a need-to-know basis with the Lord. Think about it this way. <clears throat> Let's just say you have a child, and that child's experienced some kind of life dilemma. As a parent, there's no way you'd withhold information or advice on how to handle the situation. That doesn't even make sense. No, much to the contrary. You do whatever was in your power to help them through the problem. Easy decision. Well, God, our Father. Everybody say Father. Father. And we might talk about that a little bit. Well, God, our Father. Well, he could be anything he wanted to be, but his choice was to be father. He's so much better at this kind of stuff than we could possibly be. He cares about every little decision we're faced with. We're his own children, and he wants very much to interact with us and be involved in our lives. Our problem is that oftentimes we agonize over the situation without even asking the Lord what we should do. Part of our growing up in the Lord is learning to relinquish these problems we encounter to him rather than carrying them around and trying to figure out what to do on our own. Trust me, you're going to like this a whole lot better than trying to carry the load yourself. Excuse me. This is how we learn to put our trust in the Lord. It takes faith and the good news that you already have adequate faith to get started. A little disclaimer. Some might argue that the Lord doesn't move quickly enough. I can totally relate to that. I've thought of that many, many a time. Someone said it this way. God's never late. I'd agree with that, but I'd add he's never early either. Reality is that he's always on time. He's always going to do what's best for you every single time. 
Oh, and you don't necessarily have to be going through a trial in life to get this kind of attention from the Father. If we learn to go to him with every single thing in our lives, then the problem times wouldn't be so stressful and maybe not last so long. Amen? So you're on a need-to-know basis with the Lord. So let's start from ground zero. How, why is it important to hear the Lord? Can you imagine the advantage you'd have in making your decisions? And you'd know what to expect in every situation. The Bible says that God will show us things to come, right? Uh, you'd know what to embrace, you'd know what to avoid, you'd know what doors to go through, you'd know what doors, you'd understand what doors are closed, you'd know how to handle difficult situations. I mean, if something like that were to ever come up, that was a joke. I mean, you don't, you don't, you have a difficult situation every now and then, right? Or is it just me? Yeah, we have difficult situations happen all the time, but you'd know what to do in difficult situations and you'd know what to do with difficult people. Is that just me too? Or do you have some difficult people in your circle of influence, in your circle? I said this the other night, and this is for the benefit of those who weren't here, is that if you have someone in your circle of influence, someone you work with, someone maybe in your family uh, that uh, is, a, is, is hard to love, I want you to start looking at them different because God wants to use that person to redeem you and to help you. They're looking at me because I'm the hard one to love in their circle, right? So, uh, but... If you would start to see that person as someone that God's using to help you learn how to exercise agape, unconditional love. Now, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit on this one. Amen. But he's there to help. And again, I should have said this a while ago, when I started that 50-some messages on what needs to happen for the church to be the church in 2020, uh, that was one of those things. I, I uh, expect to see, it's happening, we're starting to see it now, uh, an increase in signs and wonders. And uh, at the same time, three pretty close friends of mine have died within the last six or seven months. That's, that's kind of a heartbreaker for me. But at the same time, I still believe, I still believe what God is doing. It's frustrating. The enemy would like to take those things. I don't understand it, but the enemy would like to take those things and discourage us and 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 convince us that God's not going to do that kind of stuff. But they, he, he's got to me too late on that. We need to just keep asking. We need to ask big, you know. And uh, so, but, but the other thing, the thing that, uh, that I think is even more important than that, that's pretty important. Because see, when, the, when the, in, in the first century with Jesus and then with the disciples, it was signs and wonders was one of the things that, that, uh, that God used to draw the unbelievers to him, and nothing will win somebody over any quicker than uh, than someone miraculously healed who doesn't believe. All of a sudden, it's like in a moment's time. All of a sudden, now they're believers, and so I want you to ask big, believe big. We need people who are asking for miracles. And uh, we had a, a girl call me in our church uh, three weeks ago, and she said um, her aunts. Uh, someone who worked with her aunt's little seven-year-old daughter stepped on a uh, hot wire and burned her inside. She's not didn't they didn't expect her to live. And anyway, I told that story the other night. I'm not trying to repeat everything I said, but uh, it it's works for this little uh, story uh, and, and what I, the point I want to make. But uh, so we started praying. A lot of other people started praying. So. When those kind of things happen and we pray, we don't take the credit for that, right? I mean, you know, we can ask, I mean, one plants and one waters, but if God doesn't give the increase, nothing happens. So we, we just need to always be sure to give the credit to the Lord. 
But the little girl, in, in a pretty short period of time, like a week or week and a half, out of the hospital and no internal damage. And they said first her insides were burnt. She was never going to be able to do hardly anything and maybe lose her leg and all that. But when, I, when she called me and told me that, I told her we would pray, prayed with her and uh, this girl that called me, and then I hung the phone up. Immediately I heard the Lord in uh, the way that he speaks to me most of the time. In the still, small voice. You know what I'm talking about? The Bible talks about the still, small voice. And that's that voice that you can almost hear, but you can't hear. But it's, it's kind of in the back of your mind. But you hear that. You learn to. I've learned to pick up on those things. I've learned to flag those things down when they come into my spirit. So I encourage you to do that. Because <clears throat> I don't think everybody's like me. But, but I think God probably speaks like that. Maybe more than any other way, just in comparing that with other friends and stuff. But driving out of my mom's driveway, I felt like the Lord said, Andy, expect to be inundated, covered up. Expect to be inundated with impossible situations. Well, I know when God says that, one, that, he know, that God knows that even though a situation looks impossible, it's not, right? But uh, And so a lot of those things are really intimidating, like that one would be pretty intimidating, especially if you're close to that family. But the Bible says, you know what it says, it says, with man there's things that's impossible, with God nothing, help me out, nothing is impossible, right? So I know when God said that, that uh, there's going to be, we're going to have a lot of that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, that just kind of kicked it into another gear for us. We started, I started, we started getting more of those kind of calls. We have a friend that uh, got ejected, had a wreck and got ejected from his car. Uh, they're telling him that he's going to be paralyzed. That's a pretty intimidating thing, especially when you got specialists and doctors, and that's what the body is saying, and all those kind of things. But uh, we've uh, trained up uh, a people who are not going to take everything at face value, who uh, will dig in, and I'm encouraging you to do the same, but dig in on those kind of things, because these are the things for, for a miracle to happen. You, we, we believe God's still doing that kind of stuff, Right. It's important to, even though my friends died, I still believe God is a God of miracles. And uh, so we, we have to contend for that and believe through those kind of things. But for a miracle to happen, for a legitimate miracle to happen, every other uh, avenue has to have dried up. So congratulations if you're in an impossible looking situation that looks impossible. Maybe, maybe you are and, uh, or you know someone that is. But there needs to be someone who will believe, someone who will activate their faith. See, nobody can activate your faith but you. And um, I'll say it again. You have a high, high quality of faith, Romans chapter 12. Let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I'll take a little side road there real quick. Uh, this, is, this is really good for men, and I bet it might hit a lot of men in this room. It says, let us not think more highly of ourselves than, than we ought to think. And it goes on to say, for God has dealt to every man or all mankind the measure of faith. But think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Every now and then, we'll see someone that thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to think. But not often. It's a thing that, in a kingdom atmosphere, that can't live very long. Like, this group of people all believes and, and believes that, uh, and, and, and are not prideful or not high-minded, don't, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. If someone who's very prideful, and uh, you know, I said pride's like bad breath. A spiritual pride's like bad breath. Everybody knows you got it, but you. And it's the it's an ugly thing for the Lord. But what I see in in 
and where we're at, uh, it's pretty common, is for people, especially men, to think less of themselves than they ought to think. I don't see the pride thing as much, but I see men, and I promise you, in this room, there's somebody that needs to be lifted up to a higher spot. You need to start to see yourself like God sees you. And when you start to see yourself like God sees you, you're going like, to be like that guy. Let's see, what was his name? George Zimmer on the, used to do the men's warehouse, started the men's warehouse, used to do that commercial. And the last thing he said, you're going to like the way you look, I guarantee it, or something like that. So when you see yourself like God sees you, you're going to like yourself, I guarantee it. So for sure, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but please don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought to think, because there's this whole mentality Especially out where we live, and especially with the demographic, that demographic of people that we've reached, a lot of people who didn't go to church is uh, they, well, you know, God could never use me. Well, I mean, he's used to doing, he's used to using people that, uh, that, that the world has kind of kicked off to the side. I've preached a message one time, <clears throat> something like this. Um, God always picks the wrong guy. He does. If you look, he's, he consistently picks the wrong guy from the eyes of the world. Well, let's see, you know, so it's Abraham. I mean, we see Abraham as this great champion of the faith, but he wasn't. He was a pagan man. And uh, God came to Abraham. He had an encounter with God, which is the one thing that will change your life. And uh, uh, I would, if, if, we, if you forget everything else that I say, and a lot of times they do, I don't say very much very important. But if you don't, if you don't hear anything else I say, remember that, uh, remember that, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, what I just forgot it myself, actually, but uh, he, he told Abraham, he said, get out of your country. Oh, it's the encounter, it's ha- having an encounter with God. Nothing will change your life any quicker than an initial and then further encounters with God. Amen? So he told Abraham. Abraham was a pagan man, and he lived in a pagan nation, and God said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Now, there's a principle spelled out in the New Testament, uh, but it says this, it's first the natural, then the spiritual. So Abraham had to literally get out of his country from his family and from his father's house. But you have to, if you're going to be who God wants you to be, you got to, you got to spiritually do that. You got to come out from underneath those things that have formed you and shaped you. Well, what did Abraham get out of? He got out of his country. So wherever you grew up and the people that know you, have certain expectations of you. And I'm sure Abraham was probably a good guy, but all these things had served to limit him and didn't give him uh, and lead him into his true identity. Get out of your country from your family. And uh, uh, what, uh, see, God wanted to get Abraham away from these things that weren't necessarily bad for him, but he was not fulfilling who God called him to be. Get out of your country from your family. And this is important, too, from your father's house, the generational way of thinking. And a lot of people go to certain church because grandma went there and because dad and mom went there, and I'm going to go there because they did. Well, maybe that's where you're supposed to be. But, but more important than that, you need to find out. I mean, if, uh, if, uh, if God's specific about what he wants for our, li- our lives and he has a plan for our lives, it might, it might be fairly important where you hook up and where you go to church, right? That might be kind of important. So Abraham did that, and he got, he, uh, you know, it's a great story. He said, uh, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house. And uh, 
The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it, but Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And it said that uh, Abraham spent his whole life looking down the road, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking down the road for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's why I keep saying that the church is destined to be more than the church is today. Amen? And so God started talking to Abraham. He had to do it spirit, uh, naturally, in the natural. You have to do it spiritually. You come out from underneath those things that have formed you and shaped you and start to listen to what God says to you because the things that God says to you, I believe he's talking to you, the things that God says to you form you and shape you into your true identity. So he said to Abraham, you know, he wasn't a young man when that happened. I can't remember. He's about 75, right? And he said, uh, uh, Abraham, you're going to have uh, as uh, many uh, descendants as the stars in the sky. Wow. You're going to have as many descendants as the sands on the seashore. So God started speaking to Abraham, and, uh, and he believed God for those things. And even, so he, even though he didn't see the complete fulfillment of that, and that's one of the things that leaders in the body of Christ, guys like me and Rodney and the leaders around here and the leaders in my place, that's one of the things we need to settle in our mind is, uh, you know, the vision has started. The vision that my house is in full swing, full swing, not swing. It's full swing. I still got some of that Texas lingo there. The vision is in full swing. And, and I say this, uh, but we're no closer to fulfilling the vision than we were at the start. You say, well, that's kind of discouraging. Well, really, but see, the further you go, the further you can see. The further you go, the further you can see. So the vision has broadened a whole lot. So my dream and uh, we've, we've taken steps to do it because of some things God said. And I'll tell you a couple of those things along the way and how God is confirming those things. But my, my dream is this, uh, that these guys, it's a part of them, this is the next generation coming on, is that this, these guys and the generation behind them, younger than them, will come along and do what we did, but only do it a whole lot better than we did. And the Lord said this to me um, 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, just in that still, small voice. He said, uh, Andy, I'm not judging you on what the church does in your lifetime. I'm judging you on what the church does after you're gone. Uh, see, that'll change your mind. That'll change your mind about doing stuff. So on Sunday mornings, when we're having service in the big room, we've got kids, we've got the sides full of these uh, little kids and people who are imparting the vision of our house, imparting the values to our house. When it comes time for me to step aside whenever that's going to be, but we're not going to have to go out and do a pastor search committee. We're going to raise them up right there in the house. Amen? Because you know why? Because they understand the values of the house. They know the things that are important to us. Why? Because that's what they're learning. And we're not babysitting them on the sides. We're not taking somebody's kind of prefab. That's okay if you do it. It's fine with me. It's just not what we're supposed to do. We're not taking somebody's prefab stuff and giving them little Bible stories. We're teaching them the values of our house. We're teaching them how to hear God as little kids. I didn't really start hearing the Lord the last 30 years old. I mean, what would happen if we would start hearing the Lord when we were in our, you know, before we were teenagers, you know, what would happen? And uh, I think God would like to do that. So <clears throat> I think everybody knows that God wants to speak to us, right? And it, it's important. The people who really hear him are the people who make it a priority. Well, I got eight pages of notes, and I'm just going to kind of hit the high spots, and I would do something kind of fun at the end. Uh, let's see. Mm. Oh, is anybody familiar with Dallas Willard? 
If you're to Dallas Willard, get acquainted with Dallas Willard. He's dead and gone now, but he's written some books. In his, this is a great book, and you'll love this book. It's called uh, Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. But here's a quote from that book. We can get by in life with a God who doesn't speak. Many at least think they do. But it's not much of a life, and it's certainly not the life God intends for us or the abundance of life that Jesus Christ came to make available. Your life, this is one of my quotes, your life is only going to be as full and successful and as successful to the extent that you are willing to make God, hearing God a priority. Amen? So if you want your life to be uh, successful, you want to flourish, you want to be successful in every area of your life, make it, a, make it a priority to hear God. Here are some of the ways God speaks. And I don't expect this to be a revelation to anybody. We're just kind of, like I said, we're breaking it down to ground zero. Here's... Uh, the ways, some of the ways God speaks, because first off, it's almost unlimited how God can speak, right? He can do anything he wants to do, but here's some of the biblical ways that he speaks. He speaks audibly. We see him speak audibly a lot in the Bible. We see him, we've had people raise their hands in this room who believe, and I believe them too, that they've heard the audible voice of God. We, uh, we, the written word, God speaks to us through his, uh, through the written word. It's really important, uh, to, to be a student of the Word of God. And uh, when I run into people at times and they say, you know, I just don't hear God very good. I say, well, do you look in the Bible much? Because if you'll look and make yourself a student of the Word, and this is, this is a really, really important time to do that because most people are depending on somebody else. Whoever's standing up here, most people are depending on someone else to be their go-to uh, person uh, to hear God for them. Well, God had rather, as a father, he'd rather speak to you about you than he would somebody else about you. And the Bible says that in the last days, and I, I'm not, a, I'm not uh, obsessed with end times at all. Uh, I just know if Paul was talking about them 2,000 years ago, we were quite a bit closer than we were. And I said the other night, uh, people that are obsessed with end times, I don't see them changing the world. But we got to be we got to be in the end times. If you just look at the conditions in the world, but the Bible says that in the end times, watch out. I'm paraphrasing there because even the very elect, even the very elect, will be deceived. And the way you're not going to get deceived is be a student of this book. And in in combination, as as important as this book is, it's not a substitute for your relationship with the Father. I expect to get an amen or two on that one. But anyway. So, uh, and, and that's, people have, uh, people have uh, and I said this again, I'm repeating myself a lot, but uh, you can learn a lot of stuff about God by reading this book. I recommend you do it. It's important enough for me to write a book about it, reading your Bible for all it's worth, that one right under my foot there. It's important. And uh, <clears throat> I wrote that book kind of as a second thought. Uh, we were going to have a class, we have a big interactive class on Sunday mornings, adults, and uh, we were going to use one of uh, Steve McVeigh's books called uh, Unlock Your Bible. It's a good book. You know, it's a little thin one. You could read it probably in an hour. And uh, we got a, another box of them. And we read through it the week before we were going to start the class. And some stuff that he said I thought could easily be a real strong grace guy. And I thought could be easily misunderstood. I knew what he was saying. But, you know, in the Bible Belt, like I said, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of mixture of law and grace and grace is a controversial subject. I really can't, uh, uh, really can't figure out why. But 
in the Bible Belt, more often than not, what you get is a mixture of law and grace. And we're not under the law anymore. And Paul goes to great lengths. Every letter he wrote starts and ends. The bookends of everything he wrote, every letter, you look at uh, Colossians, Philippians, any of those. Grace and peace be multiplied to you at the end of that uh, book, uh, end of that letter. He'll, it, something like that, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And everything he talks about, whether he's talking about gifts of the Spirit, whether he's talking about agape, whether he's talking about water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, whatever he's talking about is all contained within the context of grace. So I say this, anybody preaching a mixture of law and grace ain't preaching grace at all. And uh, it's, it, this is a time... And God's going to test where we are in that. And uh, legalism, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty strong thing. And, and the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he speaks to us through the written word. And uh, that book, uh, Reading Your Bible for All It's Worth. See, I found out that uh, I'm, I'm a reader. Uh, my mom and dad taught me how to read before I started to school. My first and second grade teacher were really strong, helping me learn how to read. I still love to read. And... Uh, like the last six months or maybe not quite a year, I've started listening to more audio stuff because some of the stuff I read is kind of hard to read. It's thick and meaty and kind of hard to read, but I'm still a, I'm a good reader because I've read a lot. But this book is, is written for people who don't like to read. The longest chapter in it, I think, is like four pages. You can pick it up anywhere and flip through there, and uh, it'll give you. I'm not trying to sell books. I'm just trying to get you to to give the honor to the written word of God that it deserves. But uh, let me give you a couple of these, a few of these uh, chapter titles. Um, let's see. Put yourself in the story. Like when you're reading one of those stories in the New Testament, Jesus is on the banks and he's, we watched some of The Chosen today. And y'all watching The Chosen? I hadn't watched it. These guys have them. I'm just starting to watch it. Um, I hadn't been saved very long, so I'm just kind of starting to. Put yourself in the story, renewing your mind. That's uh, two pages. Uh, be a learner. Uh, my dad, uh, Rodney loved my dad. Everybody knew my dad loved my dad. My dad, this is what my dad said. He said, uh, uh, whenever you think you know it all, best advice I've ever had outside biblical stuff. Uh, you can, you can, it, it, it's kind of biblical too. Whenever you think you know it all, you're as smart as you'll ever get. That works if you're a golfer, a plumber, uh, Jet pilot, whenever you think you know it all, you stop growing. So it's just about being a learner. I'm a lifetime learner. I like to learn. And uh, I've uh, tackled and tied into some stuff that's been hard for me to learn, at, uh, like I'll be 70 on my birthday. But uh, you can still learn. And I've been reading some stuff about the brain, and there's this uh, term called neuroplasticity. And your brain w will keep growing if you'll help it keep growing. It'll stop anytime you want to stop. But if you decide to be a learner, your brain will keep growing. And I'm trying to keep my brain going. I didn't have all that much to begin with, so I'm really working on that part. A good ground, uh, reading by faith. Uh, mark it up. Be a note taker. Be a searcher. Be a doer. Uh, let's see. Commentaries. Well, okay, but be careful because remember, anytime you get it, I'll check commentaries out every now and then on a scripture I don't really understand. And, uh, you know, Matthew Henry, like it's been a couple of centuries ago or more, but I like to compare and see if it helps me kind of understand, you know. And, but remember, you have the Holy Spirit to help you. Word studies, the, the Hebrew and Greek. 
Well, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge student of the Greek or the Hebrew, but there are some words that when you look at those words, it really helps you understand the, what's being said uh, a, a lot better. Um, uh, the Logos and the Rhema. I make it really easy to understand. You know, everybody in here has got ways that you know that, that uh, God has blessed you, right? I mean, it might be something in the natural, might be something in the spiritual. But one of the things the Lord has blessed me with is the ability to make complex uh, scriptural stuff really, really simple. I'm, I'm grateful for that gift because people need to understand this in a simple way. I found myself uh, about 20 years ago in the company of uh, several guys. I'll, I'll uh, give these names because they probably don't mean anything to you, but they're men who are they're world changers. They're under the radar. They don't have their TV shows. Some of them written books and stuff. But uh, these uh, guys like John Wallace, and uh, you know John Wallace? John Wallace in Dallas, and uh, David Van Cronkite in Atlanta, and uh, Tim Johns in uh, Kansas City, now Laramie, uh, Wyoming, and uh, and, uh, and Ben Fike now in Modesto, California. And so I found myself in the company of these people who are real, they're genuine, they're real, they're world changers. And uh, I became really, really close friends with them. I mean, they're some of my best friends. And I started asking the Lord. I, mean, I looked at myself and I could see what they had to offer. And uh, I asked the Lord, how did I get in this picture? What, what, do I, what can I possibly add to or bring to the table? And the Lord, in that still, small voice, said this. He said, Andy, you bring simplicity to the table. And here's what he said to me. <clears throat> so it's good to, it's good to hear somebody else say what they've heard from the Lord because it's kind of stoked your fire to hear that too. He said, you bring simplicity to the table. And here's what he said. I'm about to bring the prominence to simplicity that it's always deserved. See, God likes simplicity. You look at what Jesus said. I mean, he was the, uh, he was the uh, fulfillment. He was God in the flesh. He, knows, he knew everything. But the way Jesus taught is the way I want to teach. I want to teach in such a way. I mean, I've learned quite a bit of Scripture over these 30-some years now. And uh, if, I, if I wanted to, I guess I could probably go in there and dig in there and teach some stuff that only like 10% of the real Bible hounds in the room could get, but that's not my goal. My goal is to teach like Jesus taught. And the way Jesus taught was he taught in such a way that someone had, who had absolutely no spiritual orientation whatsoever couldn't miss the truth. It's that simple. So I tell people, I said, I challenge you to tell me something Jesus taught that was deep. Well, here's a really deep one. You probably won't be able to understand this one. I am the vine. You are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can't bear fruit. Now, that's difficult there. Amen? Now, that's so easy that a, a, a second grade, a first grader can understand that. That's, that's, so that's what I want to be. So anyway, I said all that. Let's see. Uh, context, it's everything. Uh, what are you trying to make the Bible say? See, a lot of people try to make the Bible prove their point, but that's not the way to do it. We need the Bible to teach us. Uh, what our points are, what our opinions are anyway. So they're out there. If you, if you want them, they're out there in the lobby. So he speaks through the written word. He speaks through dreams and visions. And uh, it was prophesied by Joel chapter 2. In that day, we're living in that day, by the way, since the day of Pentecost. In that day, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And uh, we've had, uh, I'll just give you a, a testimony about one woman. Now, were y'all there when the Colthorpes were there? They moved off down in South Texas now, but 
they grew up in the Baptist church where they didn't talk about uh, dreams and visions and the gifts of the Spirit much. But when we talked about this, when I taught this years back, she just embraced that. And they thought, you know, why? She said to herself, why? Why am I not having dreams and visions? And she began to take it to the Lord. Give me some dreams and visions. She started having these dreams. And, that, and not just dreams, but dreams that had spiritual significance. And she started having them on a regular basis. And the Lord would give her the interpretation of those dreams. That was a really p- powerful thing. I hadn't planned on doing this, but I want to just stop right there and, and ask this question. How many of you in this room are dreamers? You have a lot of dreams. Stand up. You're dreamers. Now, is it okay if I ask the Lord, do you, if, if you have uh, dreams that have spiritual significance, just wave at me. Okay? Excellent. So, so I want to pray that you have more of those. Amen? So if you're, uh, if, if you're not standing up, go touch these guys real quick. Go back there and lay, hand, lay hands on them real quick. We're just going to pray for you. And some of you are already moving in it, and that's great. So, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just think the Lord wants us to do this. Right now in Jesus' name. We just ask for a greater measure, more dreams, and more understanding of those dreams. Show them the significance of that and help to bring that to the surface and help it to be used in the church that they're in, in Jesus' name. Amen? You can be seated. So there's dreams and visions. He speaks through signs and wonders. He speaks through prophecy. He speaks through the word of wisdom. He speaks through the word of knowledge, all those things and. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks through tongues, he speaks through the elements, he speaks through nature, birds, animals, fish, whatever, doves. Oh, I didn't even think about this. I should have got that video off my phone. So uh, here's one of the ways that uh, God speaks. I see these, uh, I see doves a lot. And uh, I may be having the worst day I've ever had and something on my mind I'm worried about. And I'll drive out of my driveway, and there'll just be a dove sitting right there. One day, it was one in the road, wouldn't get out of the road. And so any time I see that, I know that it's God saying, I'm here. I got you back. It's going to be okay. And so I went to my mom's house one day. She's 80, be 89 here in a a couple of months. She lives just a few blocks north of me. And I went in my, uh, her garage door's open. I always go through her garage into the, right into her living room. And uh, I go in the living room and I get ready to leave. And uh, there's a dove had flown in the garage and was on top of her car. I thought, that's, that's kind of bizarre right there. That, have, you, have I showed you this before? Uh, and anyway, the dove flew in and landed on top of my mom's car because, you know, doves are pretty flighty. And so uh, I said, Mom, look, there's a dove flew in here. So I got my phone out and took a picture through the glass uh, door there. This kind of a storm door. And because uh, I knew as soon as I opened the door that the dove's going to fly. Well, I opened the door and the dove didn't fly. I mean, I walk up to this far from the dove. The dove didn't fly. I walk up this close to the dove. I get a selfie of me and the dove. I've got a video of me petting the dove. Yeah. Can you believe that? So you see, that's, that's pretty, I'll show you. If I can find that, I'll just show you. I'll send it to Rodney and he can show you. It just like blows my mind. But uh, he speaks through those kind of things. Sounds, colors, numbers. He speaks through numbers a lot. So it's, it's kind of, I saw a book on your desk about numbers, you know, numbers in the Bible. So it's, and I see, uh, the, I see this number a lot, time-wise. 555, almost every day. 
on my clock in my car or my clock in my office or my clock in my bedroom, I'll see 555. We'll see, what does that have to do with anything? Well, five is the number for grace, right? And so uh, I just see that light. It's just God's way of, I don't think he said anything specific to me about that, but it's just to remind us that he is a God of grace. So he has ways of speaking to us, amen? Uh, numbers, uh, through life events. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. My friend, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you his name. You don't know him anyway, but he goes to Amarella. He goes to the bar. And uh, we still got a lot of friends that go to the bar. And he goes to the bar, and uh, he parks where he wasn't supposed to park. And he comes out of the bar, and his car's gone. And uh, he's telling me this story. Anyway, he has to go pay $250 to get his car. Uh, they impounded his car and has to go get his car. And I said, man, God's really speaking to you. And uh, he said, what do you mean God's speaking to me? He's saying, don't go to the bar. That's what he's telling you. Didn't you hear him? He's trying to talk to you. Let's see. I'll try to speed it up a little bit. Um, let's see. God doesn't speak to everyone the same. You'll find that he speaks to you in unique ways. You'll become familiar with the ways he speaks to you. And uh, I've started to, I just taught uh, a couple of weeks on moving in the prophetic. And uh, I think it's a, you know, the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, For you can all prophesy. But just because you prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. You know, the word uh, prophet and prophecy is in all three sets of the gifts. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We call that five-fold ministry. Uh, it's listed in the motivational, or I like to call them personality gifts, in Romans chapter 12. Prophecy is, is a personality gift, and that's not anything of your choosing. It's how God has already made you. So there's a book it's called Discover Your God-Given Gifts, and it's a book about like that. It's got work pages and everything in it. It's by Don. You ought to get the book because it'll help you understand yourself and find out how your, your personality is gifted better than anything I've ever seen. Uh, there's seven of those listed in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> and uh, the book is uh, Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Katie Fortune. So you ought to get the book. You ought to teach it somewhere. We've taught it through the whole household a time or two. And then it's also listed in the, the, uh, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what we call the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, those personality gifts um, are the, the prophetic personality. My wife is, is, has that prophetic personality. She's black or white. She can spot somebody lying a mile away. She's got my back all the time. It's really, a, a, it's really neat how God has put us together because I trust everybody. I mean, they can be uh, and believe everything everybody tells me. I'm just that way. I mean, I'd rather be that way than be skeptical of everybody, but she's kind of skeptical of everybody. And they can be there taking my wallet out of my back pocket, and everybody's warned me how crooked this person might be, and uh, I'm just believing everything they tell me. So here's how that works for us. So there was a, there was a, when we just had 15 or 20 people, we had a ad in the area-wide phone book that uh, it, it didn't say anything about any church. Basically, I don't remember exactly what the ad was, but it's something that if you're in trouble, if you're messed up in your life and you got whatever, here's a number to call. I told free number, it rang into my house. We didn't have any, we didn't have very many people at all. And it would ring into my house. So uh, I'm working another job. I mean, we only had a few people at church. And uh, phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning. Find out the bar just closed, right? Phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning. Long story short, this guy is uh, he's on drugs. He's uh, living with a girl he's not married to. And he doesn't have a job. And my 
personality gift is ex- exhortation, encourager. I'm an encourager. That's how God has made me. And, uh, and Julie, she's that prophetic personality. She sees through that stuff. So I spend two hours in the middle of the night encouraging this guy. And uh, next night, same thing, two o'clock. He calls me again. I spend two hours on the phone with him, encouraging, praying with him, telling him what he ought to do. Next night, Julie beats me to the phone. Phone call lasted 20 seconds. And here's how it went. Okay, all right, all right, here's what you do. Move the girl out, get a job, and get off the drugs. When you do that, call me back. (laughs) Now, she don't know it, but she needs a little of what I got. And I need some of what she's got, amen? But that's good ways. It's good ways for husbands and wives to hear the Lord. Uh, So he speaks to everybody different. Um, Let's see. People who are consistent prayers, prayers, people who pray, hear the Lord good. Prayer is communication, and all healthy communication is two-sided, right? One of the things that really gets on Eric's nerves, right? It's okay for me to say that. One of the things that really gets on, he's reluctant, he said, yeah, one of the things that really gets on Eric's nerves is for someone to dominate and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and never let you answer and never let just uh, he gets in a lot of those situations. We're trying to figure out and help him with him so he'll know what God's trying to teach him in that. We don't know yet because he runs into it a lot. But uh, healthy, com- you really it is so healthy communication is two sided. Here's what I found. So it's, it's made up of talking and listening. Here's what I found. If I will listen, if I will make it a point to listen, it narrows down the things I have to ask God for like a lot. If we'll just start to listen. So I'm, I'm listening a lot more than I'm talking in my prayer now. And uh, it's, uh, it's like I said, I just keep saying it because I want you to catch it, that God's in a talkative mood. And uh, I've said this through this meeting this week that I've probably got 80 pages of stuff in the last uh, six months or more of stuff that I didn't even ask God about. That God just giving me stuff, at one thing after the other. I don't even know what to do with it all. It's, uh, it's, it's all over the map of stuff, and I'm trying to organize it now. I can't organize it fast enough that God's saying these things to me. So, um, so really, make it a point to listen. Just close out, learn to close out the distractions and, uh, and see what it is the Lord's saying. Write those things down. Um, I don't know if it's the age thing or whatever it is, but I get a lot of stuff when I lay down or wake up during the night and I'll get something really, really, really important. I know it's important. And I'll think, man, that's good. When I get up in the morning, I'll write that down. And I'll wake up in the morning and for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. So I'm making it a point. And this is serious. And one of the words the Lord has given me lately, one of the prophetic words the Lord has given me for several guys lately is listen to God in the night hours. Because God's talking in the night hours. If he wakes you up in the middle of the night, pay attention to what it is that he says. And, and for me, I, I encourage you, write those things down that God says. Because he's in a talkative mood and he's saying stuff that's really, really important. Amen? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> People who are the very best at hearing the Lord are the ones who make it a priority. Oh, and uh, again, it's that thing the Lord's reminded me of every day. It's the thing I've preached all these years. This relationship with the Father is grow deeper in your relationship with the Father. That's the key. That's what everything's about anyway. I heard uh, this East Texas prophet say this when I was at Blood and Fire Warehouse in Atlanta uh, 20 years ago. His name's Bobby Connor. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. But here's what he said. It's never left me. We become way too familiar with a God we barely know. 
You ought to write that one down. We become way too familiar with a God we barely know. So uh, let's get to know him. And, uh, and really, that's what life is all about. It's the thing that gives your life the value, the things you hear. I say it again, the things you hear from God form you and shape you into who you're supposed to be. Um, how do I know it's the Lord talking, if it's the Lord talking to me? Well, does it bring life? Because the things God says to you have life attached to them. Uh, does it require faith? If, if he says something, does it require faith? Because God's, see, God doesn't push. He's not a pusher, and we shouldn't be pushers either. I like to use this term. God's pulling us. He's pulling us into a deeper level of faith. And when God says something to you that's so far out there, you don't know if it could ever happen, he's trying to pull you into a deeper place of faith with him. Because he knows the high, high quality of faith that you have. He just wants you to know it and learn to walk in it. I got the chill bumps on that one. Let's see. Can you feel the love when God speaks? Yeah. Even when God is, uh, even when the Father is disciplining me, and I give a couple of examples, uh, maybe last night. One of the things the Lord said to me about this whole awakening thing is that, uh, that uh, and I'm just stripping down in front of everybody, right? Because he, he wants to say some of this same kind of stuff to you too is uh, the Lord said to me, he showed me that i got to watch out for pride. And here's what he said to me, and I'll say it to you. I said it to, to Rodney's leaders today in that, uh, in that staff meeting. I think it goes for all of you too. When God brings the attention, the notoriety, the, the blessing, the favor to you and to your house, I'm talking about your church, when he brings all those things to you, to the degree that he wants to, you're a setting duck for pride. You better watch out. And uh, the Lord said this to me a long time ago. Uh, Andy, your greatest test starts now. And he's reminded me a lot of it lately. Your greatest test starts now. That's for you too, I think. You can decide. Your greatest test starts now, and it lasts for the rest of your life. Can you keep on being nothing when everybody around you is telling you you're something? we got to learn to deflect all that stuff when God, when you lay hands on someone and they're miraculous, miraculously healed right on the spot. It's going to, people are going to think you're a big deal. So you got to learn right, think about it right now that I'm going to deflect that right on to the Father. Just right on to the Father. When you pray and your prayers are answered, all of a sudden it's, you know, it's like I said a while ago, pride never comes through the front door. It always kind of slips in the side door pretty soon. You're really something, you know, and so you got to watch out for that. <clears throat> and uh, I'll say this for Auburn Heights. I'll say it for the fort. And I'll say it for the rock. Your greatest test, your greatest test is right in front of you. And when God, because God wants to do it. He wants to do it at your place. He's, he wants, he's going to do it here. The awakening is here. And I'm not just talking to Auburn Heights. I'm talking to Trinity Fellowship. I'm talking to the church worldwide. This is what God's saying to me. The, the awakening is here. The church is asleep. That's why, we're, that's why I'm like Paul Revere. His was, uh, the British are coming. Mine is, wake up. Wake up. It's here. Amen? Oh, let's just wind it up. Let's see. Well, it's important that you believe you're supposed to hear the Lord. That's important. Let's see. I got... A lot of notes. Um, what have you done with other things that you think God might have said to you? Have you just entertained it? Have you argued yourself out of it? I'll tell you a really good story. So I'll stop with this one. Um, so in uh, 1998, uh, 
Me and Julie are in bed. Um, she's asleep. I'm just between awake and asleep. And I felt like the Lord said, uh, Andy, someone's going to give the church a million dollars. Well, it got my attention. And, uh, and so I thought, that was just me. And I almost argued myself, almost won the art, which would have been a loss. I almost argued myself out of it. And I felt like on the heels that I felt like that still small voice said, Andy, you need to voice it out to give it life. See, when God says something, that's a key. When, God, when you think God says something to you, voice it out. Say it out loud because when you say it out loud, it gives you life. It, it gives it life. And, uh, and uh, the, the, you, the, you, you know, don't know how many times you argue yourself out of that. You're not going to miss God as much as you think you're going to. You hear him better than you think you hear him right now. And so I woke Julie up. Julie, somebody's going to give the church a million dollars. Okay, good. She's back asleep. So we started, we started then. Uh, and this is what I say to do when you think you hear the Lord. Because see, it, it starts out as you just think you heard the Lord. You, you're never going to know if you really heard him until you add faith to that. You have to add faith to that. And so we started, uh, this is what I say. You say it and pray it. God, you said you're going to give us, somebody's going to give us a million. We started to say it and pray it. Uh, see, so two, nine, 11 years later, 11 years later, we've been saying it and praying it, saying it and praying it. First time I said it and prayed it, I had, I, I mean, it was so, it wasn't even ankle deep faith I had. But after four or five years, I kind of had knee size faith for it. After about nine years, I started having faith for it. And about, about 11 years later, in the middle of the day, a guy calls me who didn't even go to our church, said, can I meet with you? And I said, yeah. He come by. We sat down on a little round table in my office. A tear trickled down his face. He reached in his pocket and handed me a check for a million dollars. Am I telling the truth? Hand me a check for a million dollars. It was fun to go to the bank the next day. Well, I'll tell you that part of the story. So <clears throat> my banker is like a big six-foot-seven uh, ex-TCU football player. And uh, he, uh, when we went to, uh, when we went to borrow the money for our new building, five, right at five million dollars, we walked in, and uh, and uh, we're, we're not the typical church guys. So we walk in, and I said, "Do we look like three guys you'd loan five million dollars to?" And he said, "Well, actually, you do." And so anyway, we went in, and uh, so there's a story that led up to that. Uh, we. Uh, we bought the property that we're on, 100 acres right on Interstate 40. We had no money, had $210 in a building fund and paid it off in two years. And I said, if you go back and look at the means that the people had, it doesn't pencil out. It's supernatural. It's because when you give, I'm not trying to get you to give anything. I'm just telling you, anytime you give, you, you activate the supernatural. You activate the supernatural. And so anyway, so... We paid off that property in two years, won him over. He started going to church with us, didn't come all the time, but he'd come a couple of times a month. And then it's when, so do we look like three guys you'd loan $5 million to? Well, actually you do. And so uh, we go in and uh, he says, uh, he's got his two uh, bank vice presidents. He's the president now over a chain of banks and he died just a few years ago. But he says, uh, Andy, uh, so we'd raise some money. By that time, we'd raise about $140,000, which like is that much compared to $5 million, right? And uh, he said, Andy, you got this much money. This is exactly how you, and you need this much money. He said, uh, where are you going to get the rest of this money? I said, well, these are bankers now. They're skeptical of everything. I said, well, the Lord gave me a dream that somebody's going to give us a million dollars. 
And he said, you know what? If anybody in the world would tell me that besides you guys, I would laugh them out of the room. But when you guys say it, I think it might happen. So fast forward, it was fun to go to the bank the next day after we got that check. So we go into the bank and they're always skeptical of us because we're not the typical church guys, you know. And so every time we go in there, they think, well, finally, it's finally going to fall through. It's, it's not, they're not going to make it. it. Never has been even close to that. So we go in and we're sitting in his office and we're all, he's, he's got an office half as big as this room. I mean, it's just, it's a huge, big office. He's the big, he's the man now. And uh, we're sitting in his office and we're all laughing because we're friends now and we're cutting up and laughing. I said, I said, well, we got a little problem. He goes, what's the problem? <laughs> I said, well, you remember that conversation we had some years back when uh, we were going to borrow the $5 million? And you said, Andy, you got this much money. Where are you going to get the rest of that money? I said, you remember me telling you that God, give me a dream. Somebody's going to give us a million dollars. He said, oh, I remember it well. I said, well, it happened yesterday. He said, you got to be kidding me. And I reached in my pocket, handed him that check for a million dollars. He looked at it like for 30 seconds. He said, I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't think I've ever even seen a check for a million dollars before. So... So don't argue yourself. That's the last thing I'm going to say about it. Don't argue yourself out of what you believe God is saying. He's looking for people. So again, let me back up. When you first hear God, you just think you hear him, right? But you're not going to know you heard him until you speak it out. Say it and pray it. Start to walk it out. Pray it out. Don't, don't fizzle out in your prayer because he, he might have just said that. So amen. There's a lot of other stuff. I'll send uh, Rodney my notes. He can give you my notes. It's about eight pages of that kind of stuff, practical stuff. Uh, I wanted to do this, <clears throat> and it'll go real fast. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to be one of the big challenges for churches in this day and time, especially in the Bible Belt. We're in the Bible Belt. You guys are in the Bible Belt. I mean, y'all guys are probably in the heart of the Bible Belt, but there's mindsets in the Bible Belt that are, that, uh, uh, that are going to have to change some. I think some, some, things, some things about being in the Bible Belt are good, but I think some things are not good because God's not going to go by Bible Belt rules. He's going to go by his own rules. Amen? So this little thing is called, uh, are you a company man or a kingdom man? There's a huge difference. Well, are you a denominational man or a kingdom man? C company man, denomination, or a kingdom man? And here's some comparisons. You can decide. A company man battles for the doctrine of the house, but a kingdom man battles for the rules of the kingdom. A company man uh, holds on to his doctrine. A kingdom man holds on to the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. A company man is rigid, unwilling to change, even when presented with convincing scripture, but a kingdom man is flexible, willing to change upon receiving new light. We need to be flexible. Amen? Amen. In this day and time, we really need to be. And I'm not trying to yank the rug out of anybody's religious tradition. But if your real religious tradition is keeping you from doing what God is wanting you to do, it's not just a bad thing. It's the most evil thing for you. It's the most evil thing that... That, that was a fighting and resisting against what Jesus did and every generation following that. So all religious tradition is not bad, but if it's keeping you or your church from getting to where God wants it to get, it's not a good thing. Amen? Let's see. Company man tolerates the poor. The kingdom man loves and ministers to the poor. And uh, in visiting with Jeff and uh, the, the girl that was with you last night. Delane, Delane yeah. Oh, that's my heart. Is uh, 
you know, and uh, what I encourage you guys to do, get behind. I think I know you're already doing that. You're going to have an event here pretty quick. There's a couple of hundred families going to be here, a couple hundred people to help or something. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. And here, here's one of the reasons why. Well, one, Jesus said that you'll always have the poor with you. And here's the other thing. You don't have any competition. Nobody's contending for the poor. Amen? Nobody's contending for the poor. I had a friend that moved to Sayre because of the church, Andy Swires. He was there seven or eight years. He was going to move back across the Texas line. The closest big town to him was Pampa. He said, I want to go back and do something. What would you do? And he said, I'll tell you what I would do. If I was you, I'd go to Pampa, Texas, and I'd find out who the poor are and how I could serve and minister to the poor. He said, why would you do that? And I said, because if you will make the poor a priority, as it works for you too, God will bless every other thing that you do. He just will. Kingdom man tolerates them. I mean, the company man tolerates them. Kingdom man loves and ministers to the poor. Company man has a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. A kingdom man is believing and contending for the power of God. A company man never puts their whole heart out there. They're playing it safe. A kingdom man's willing to put their whole life on the line. They're betting their life. They're swinging for the fence with their life. See, God's got enough people. He's got his quota full of people who are playing it safe. He needs some people who are betting the ranch on what they're hearing from God and, and swinging for the fence with their life. That's what he's looking for. Uh, company man, uh, company rules are the most important. Kingdom man, kingdom rules are more important. This is a good one. I like this one. A company man has a message. Kingdom man is the message. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had a message. Jesus was the message. So what does it mean if you're the message? You embody the truth that you represent. You do the truth that you represent. Company man talks about what God has done and what he's going to do. The kingdom man talks about what God's doing. That's big right there. Let's see. Company man has a heart and mindset of a servant or a hired hand. The kingdom man has a heart and the mindset of a son. They know who they are. Company man promotes knowledge over encounter and it's totally out of balance. And the kingdom man pr promotes encounter uh, in, in a correct balance with scripture and in relationship with God. Remember, as much as I love the scripture, God never intended for that to be a substitute for our relationship with him. That's what it's about. Jack said it this way. You probably heard him say this about that one time. He said, you don't leave a good restaurant bragging on how good the menu was, right? <laughs> this is the menu. He's the meal. <clears throat> Let's see. Now I just lost it. What do I do with it? It's here somewhere. Let's see. Company man's relationship has a relationship with the Bible. Kingdom man has a relationship with the Father and the Word, written Word. Company man believes the declared Word is for everybody else. But the kingdom man believes the Word's for them. When you hear it, you know, when the company man... The denominational man, he thinks that's for somebody else. But the kingdom man, he knows it's for him. Company man, leaders have an external compass driven by their statement of faith. And the kingdom man, their leaders have an internal compass for kingdom things. And uh, company man is driven. Oh, this is a good play on words here. Company man is driven by religious spirit. And a kingdom man is led. There's a difference between being driven and being led. 
a company man is driven by a re, the spirit of religion, and a kingdom man is led by the spirit. A company man gets their direction from denominational headquarters. A kingdom man gets their direction from the headquarters. Company man, God's part of their life. Kingdom man, God is their all, everything. And uh, this is uh, one of those things that, uh, that I wrote down a long time ago. A kingdom man, I flipped it around this time. Kingdom men will die for what they believe. A company men will kill for what they believe. See, the church, that whole religious spirit is mean and mean-spirited. Amen? Y'all good? Did you get anything good tonight? You going to make it a priority to hear the Lord? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Tell him you love him. He likes that. Tell him that a lot. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. I thank you for these men and the time they've given me tonight. I thank you that by your spirit, you'll just quicken their hearts and minds to the things we talked about. Lord, I pray you just keep it simple with them like you do me, and that they'd be able to hear you. They'd have a deep, deep desire to, and a priority to hear your voice. And don't let the excitement and the zeal that they have tonight because they just heard. Don't let that wear off. Remind them that you want to talk to them, God, in Jesus' name. So I call these men right now into their uh, prophetic destiny. I call them into that place of leadership. Well, first, over their own life, that they begin to not be the head, not be the tail, but be the head and be uh, in control. Oh, well, you're in control. Would they be in control and uh, not... Uh, uh, subject to all the winds of change and not be the tail, not be led around by their uh, uh, commitments and those kind of things. That they'd get in control of their spiritual life. They'd make their spiritual life high, high priority. Then, Lord, you would cause them to be the head of their household in a healthy, a balanced way. They'd love their wives like Jesus loved the church. And they'd be, and they, and they'd take their place there. Lord, I thank you for the gifts and calling of God that you said are irrevocable. If you've called, then you're called. Whatever God has called these men in this room to do, or those who would hear the recording of this, that God would just uh, draw you into that place where you're called, and uh, He would mature you and season you in that. So you would be one of those that I know. I'm hearing this from the Lord that those who are going to do the heavy lifting in this season are going to be the seasoned, mature sons and daughters who understand who they are. And Lord, let them take their place of leadership in the church and let them step up. And Lord, I thank you for that. So I just claim that every man in this room and the ones that hear the recording of this, that everything you've said and written down about them would come to pass in perfect timing in Jesus' name. And we love you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Jesus. Oh, so, so the, the very first thing that the Lord showed me, said to me when we started in 1989, we started with six or eight people, and the very first, within the first day or two, the Lord told me to pray like this, God, bring us the people that nobody else wants. And uh, they're out there, and the, the modern church don't want them, and they don't want them because they're problems. They got problems. They're not givers. They don't, they're not mature. They're hard to deal with. They got baggage, those kind of things. And so... By the way, the, they don't want me either. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I encourage every church to start praying that. God, give us the people nobody else wants. Nobody's contending for them either. Amen? What's that? Oh, yeah, the second part of that. So Jack was with us in one of our Wednesday morning prayer times that we've been doing now for 34 years. And 
uh, he didn't even know we'd been praying this, and he, we were praying that day. We hadn't prayed that yet. And he said this. He said, uh, God wants to tell y'all, we've been praying for seven or eight, ten years by then. He said, God wants to tell you that if you'll start to pray for the people nobody wants, he's going to give you the people everybody wants. So that's a good promise that he'll do that for you. He'll do it for the fort. He'll do it for the rock. He'll do it for Auburn Heights. Amen. Amen. Thank you.